Hello and welcome to episode 220 of RPG Fans Retro Encounter, uh, RPG Fans weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and um, I am under the weather in this early January weather right now, but hopefully I can survive for an, for an entire podcast, because this is a very special podcast, our first with special guests. But before we introduce the special guests, let's introduce our regular co-hosts, uh, starting with Greg Delmich. Hi, everybody. And followed by Jonathan Logan. Merry post-holidays, everyone. All right, we have the American host and our East and West Coast of Canada correspondents, but uh, the three of us are joined by, for the first time, two two folks outside the RPG fan family of uh, of staff members, both halves of the, the game development duo of Z Boyd, Robert Boyd and Bill Sternberg. Uh, so, uh, hello, Robert. Hi, good to be here. And hello, Bill. Hey. Hope everyone's doing well. I, you know, I could be better because I have been, I've been sick since last night, and I am currently riding a high of uh, adrenaline and acetaminophen. So I hope it lasts for at least the length of the podcast. But you know, oddly, this is—we're in early January now, and we just finished weeks and weeks of people sharing their best of decade lists. And I, I think it's an odd coincidence because uh, Z-Boy Games has had basically a video game oeuvre spanning the entire decade. With, um, I know you had a, uh, a the text adventure Molly the Weird Zompire uh, was your first game, but uh, my first exposure to you was the Steam release of Breath of Death 7 the beginning, and that was in mid-2010. And so, fast forward nine and a half years, you have Cthulhu Saves Christmas, your most recent title, come out on December 23rd, 2019. So, we have a decade of Z-Void to, to examine and talk about. Yeah, that's kind of scary when you put it that way. <laughs> in, in, in 2009, when this was beginning, would you see yourselves as having a 10-year game development career by 2019? Yeah, you, you, you hope so when you start. Like, you don't... When we very first started, or rather, you know, when we started on Breath of Death 7, it was not obvious that we'd be doing this for so long. It was, It was more let's try this and see, you know, how it goes and hopefully we'll like sell decently our, cause our first real game breath of death seven launched on Xbox live indie games. And that mm-hmm. was a very small, very buried part of the Xbox live marketplace. Different That's where from, I discovered it actually. That's different from Xbox live arcade though. Cause Xbox live yeah. arcade was very, very well marketed by yeah. Xbox and, and, and indie games is almost like a layer beneath that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a weird green light project sort of thing, wasn't it? I can't remember. Kind of. It's like, it was a, essentially community run. It was originally called uh, the Creators Club, I think, something like that. Right, Robert? Yeah, XNA Creators Club. Yeah. Pretty much anybody could release stuff there. You just had to get approved by other people who were releasing stuff, not the actual Microsoft Xbox. Stuff. Oh, wow. That, that sounds right. like the Wild West. Oh, yeah. Wild West was definitely how it was. Because you had, like, I mean, it was buried, right? So, and when I say buried, it's like when you go online on your Xbox, you know, you'll see Xbox Live Arcade. Really, it'll be up up front and center. But this, you kind of had to, like, dig down a few layers in the menus to find it. And once you find it, the Xbox Live Indie Games channel, so to speak, then you have to dig through the thousands of games or whatever that are not very well sorted to figure out which ones you want to try. But um, because of that, a lot of developers, and, and 
a lot of them are just hobbyists, which is fine. I mean, we essentially started as hobbyists. We'll try almost anything to stand out from the crowd. And since it was, um, you know, community run, people would try all kinds of crazy things. So you had all kinds of bizarre games and I guess you could call them apps, like massage apps where it would just vibrate your controller. <laughs> and the idea was you would put it somewhere on your body and let it vibrate. But um, <laughs> mm, Massage that's app. That's, all right. <laughs> I guess that's one way to use XNA code, <laughs> but yeah. um, but I mean, uh, I wasn't introduced until you had the Breath of Death Seven, uh, Cthulhu, Cthulhu Saves the World double pack released on Steam, which was yeah. uh, which was in I don't know late 2010 or early 2011. Yeah, and they referenced that too. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I, I don't please don't take this the wrong way, but the uh, m- my main reason for uh, picking that up was because a it was an RPG and I like those or two RPGs, and b it was three dollars. So uh, those were the chief reasons I picked it up when I did, and I ended up adoring both of them. They were I really enjoyed them. I blogged about them. I uh, I, I I replayed them. I replayed them a couple times since because they are they are brisk and fun and interesting. I, I think that was a pretty big success for you. The, the Steam release of both of those games did it. Uh, did did it give you more confidence going forward or open up any doors for you? Um, or or did you like basically just continue on uh, working on the next game as you would have any anyway. Well, like for me, the Steam release is when I went full-time development. Because right. Because that's when it started actually making enough money. Because on Xbox Live Indie Games, the our two games got really good reviews, but like we mentioned, the indie section of Xbox wasn't heavily publicized or easy to find, so the sales weren't amazing there. But on Steam, it really took off. Right. Um, and I, I just want to make, sh- I just want to be clear, like the Xbox Live Indie Game channel was actually a wonderful, really cool part of Xbox and Microsoft to do. Like it didn't make a lot of people a lot of money unless, with a few exceptions, but it was amazing that they did that. But Robert's right, like um, st- the stars kind of aligned with our Steam release, uh, not just for him, but for me too, obviously. Um it was at a point where we not only got approved for Steam back when Steam was highly curated, which meant every game released on there got a lot of exposure, which is a big reason why the game sold so well. And two, it was right around the same time we got in touch with Penny Arcade to discuss doing the uh, Rain Flick 3 and 4 games. Mm -hmm. So right at that moment, we launched our games on Steam at a time when Steam was, you know... It was like winning the lottery. I mean, that, that's not a huge, uh, a hugely off comparison because a lot of people wanted to be on Steam and not many developers got on Steam. And when you were, you got a lot of exposure and your games generally sold well as long as they were good. And then at the same time, we had the next project and the next one lined up because we had just started working with Penny Arcade. And they were also, you know, a big deal. I mean, for two guys that had just released these very modest RPGs, do the Penny Arcade games with the support of the Penny Arcade company and 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 you know Jerry and all of the, and, and everyone there. It, it was a it, it was it was a crossroads. You know, do we go down this path of development full time because now we have enough success and like a future plan, 
or do we continue with what our normal jobs were at the time and make this continue to be like kind of uh, a hobby or something? And we made the right choice because here we are. <laughs> and, and and you are both still full time game development now. Uh, you you hadn't gone had to go back to lawyering or anything, did you, Bill? No, fortunately. Not. <laughs> All right. And um, just for a little bit of background that I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast, in case our listeners aren't fully aware of your careers, um, Zboid is the name of your game development studio. Uh, Robert is the sort of chief game designer and writer, and Bill, you're the sort of the asset developer and lead artist. Is that is that fair to say? Or um, and 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 you've had uh, different composers work on the music for each of your games. Is is that uh, accurate? Yeah, that sums it up pretty much. Yeah. Okay, cool. And also, uh, you're absolutely right. I think that the early 2010s and late 2000s was sort of the uh, was when Steam was maybe at its hottest, and its uh, its seasonal sales just did incredible business. Uh, many people, including myself, build backlogs that they will never finish just because of the enthusiasm of buying games for PC at reasonable prices. And if something did well on Steam on its first couple of weeks. That 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 I that I guess could make careers and uh, and you guys are are you know evidence of that. Um, but your your two games after Cthulhu Saves the World were the third and fourth parts of the Penny Arcades on the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness series, which we're going to call Rain Slick Three and Rain Slick Four, f- purely for saving syllables, and um and, and those are games set in the in a sort of a I don't know an alternate history penny arcade themed universe uh they're they're very funny games uh jerry is written by jerry holkins who is Tycho in the penny arcade universe and set in sort of an alternate timeline where uh vaguely modern vaguely steampunk uh it, it's kind of hard to place it in a specific time but the games are very funny and very weird and uh you guys took different approaches with both of them that i i thought were really fascinating both of them use a Vaguely Grandia-like uh, battle system for uh, for like where sort of um, where you know positioning your turns around around enemy turns and the and timing attacks to stu- to stun or break the enemy turn is is really important. And uh, Rainslick Three used a class system to adult to adjust your character skills and stats. While Penny, while Rainslick Four had a monster collecting system <laughs> that uh, got that uh, set up really diverse uh, party uh, party ideas and uh, I, I really enjoyed both of them but rain slick four is uh, maybe still my f- favorite game you've ever made uh, for a variety of reasons but um, what were the design ideas that went into those two games like what especially what made you want to make rain slick four a monster game was it just, just you, you guys want loved SMT and wanted to make one of those, or was it a little bit more complicated than that? Uh, well, that's a long time ago, but as far as I can remember, <laughs> the general thinking was it's part four of this long-running series, and people are either going to buy the game because they want the finale or not care about the game because they're not following the series. So let's just do, you know, if we if we want to do weird experimentation, this is the game to do it on. Yeah, you did. Um, my my favorite character, to, my favorite monster in that game is a vending machine named Vendor, who has who uh, gives bonuses to items and gives you free items and and uh, tricks like that. And that's just one monster out of a maybe maybe two dozen that you can mess around with. So it's. I, I was truly delighted by Rain Slick Four, start to finish, and it, and it's a, a really strong soundtrack by Hyperduck on that one. On that one, it's a 
you did a really good job with Rain Slick 4. Vendor's, I think, the only one that makes a cameo in one of our other games. To... Oh, he does? Please tell me. Because it's, um, it, it's possible I missed the detail in Cosmic Star Heroine or, or Cthulhu yeah, Saves Christmas. Cosmic Star Heroine. Oh, it's excellent. One of the recruitable shipmates you can find. Oh, I, I, how did I miss him? Oh, damn. Because I, 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 I truly loved the idea of a vending machine party member who gave item bonuses. That That is... 100% my jam. And uh, that yeah, it's tied... in the agency dungeon early on, but it's okay. easy to miss. I'm going to have to I'm going to replay that in 2020 and make sure not to skip Vendor this time. I'm uh, glad I know now. Yeah. But that goes back to something I've I definitely wanted to ask you. Um Robert, your writing in all of your games is very clever in in several ways, you uh, you enjoy putting in unusual res- references, in, including to other video games. I mean, one of the monsters in Rain Slick Four is is a persona butterfly with attacks called um, Eternal Punishment and Innocent Sin, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and there's a whole Rex Shepard bit in uh, early on in either Breath of Death or Cthulhu Saves the World that I laugh at every time. And also, your dialogue is very um, clever and fourth wall breaking and in and uh you know playing with some very unusual characters but all from a reference of i've played dozens of rpgs and i am going to use rpg mechanics and rpg tropes to to you know to to tell jokes with it with my voice and i and i really enjoy that every time and this is a roundabout way of saying that comedy is hard and you've made games that ha- are consistently pretty funny so uh it, it, what's your approach to to, to writing these games specifically about the jokes and the comedy because it seems it seems like an impossible task for me who enjoys comedy but knows I'm I'm extremely bad at it. Um, well, well, I mean, first off, I want to mention that I'm not responsible for all the jokes. I mean, with the Penny Arcade games, I what we usually did is I wrote the text first, and then mm. Jerry Holkins came in and rewrote it and put his style into it. So some of the jokes were mine, but most of it was his. He the... offers okay. suggestions and makes jokes, and he's written some parts of it when you know, I was too burnt out to write anything. Like, I think the Shepherd Rex is, so I just wanted to bring that out since you mentioned that was one of your favorites. Very well done, Bill. It's at the, it's just um, at the very beginning of uh, of that game, so... <laughs> and, and it's a perfect Mass Effect joke. Yeah. Like, honestly, my problem is that I can't not write in a comedy fashion. Like, with Cosmic Star Heron, we were going to make it more serious, and then it ended up not being as serious. So, I mean, I just, you know, try to think of things that make me laugh, and then, you know, I'll write it down, and then I'll look at it and think, is there a way to rewrite this that would make it funnier? And, you know, I show it to my wife and, you know, Bill and other friends. And, yeah, I don't really have a secret to writing comedy games. It just it comes naturally for me. If I may, why the choice to always go fourth wall breaking? Well, with the fourth wall, we specifically did that with Cthulhu because it's such a ridiculous concept anyway. Mm-hmm. That, That's fair. You, know, you have to <laughs> lean into how ridiculous it is. It's so much fourth wall with Cosmic Star Heroine. And, no, that's you know, fair. in general, I think. Breath of Death did a bit, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I played it. I think comedy works better when it's 
not fourth wall when it's you know focused on the characters and their reactions and you know clever turns of phrases and stuff but you know fourth wall is easier to do and after cosmic star heroine we we spent like three or four years on that game and i was feeling a little burnt out on working on one huge game so with cthulhu saves christmas we really wanted something that would be you know, light and breezy and, you know, easy to do and wouldn't be super stressful. So with the Cthulhu games, I think it works out well just because the whole concept is so ridiculous that, <laughs> you know, just focus on how ridiculous everything is. Yeah, embrace the ridiculousness and not try to be self-serious. And, exactly, yeah. Uh, and yeah you know what you're doing. Yeah, you're talking about breaking the fourth wall. I mean, in several of your games, uh, the player characters argue with the narrator and in roughly one and a half of your games the narrator is the final boss <laughs> so uh avoiding spoilers here and and i don't know if, if the narrator is involved with uh the ending of cthulhu saves christmas because i'm near the end but i haven't quite finished it yet I, I, uh again it's because i got i i fell ill when i was planning to to finish the game but you mentioned Cosmic Star Heroin, and you worked on that game for probably three or four years. It was a uh, it was a Kickstarter campaign right there in the heyday of Kickstarter, and eventually released in 2017. This is your largest game to date. Its runtime is in the 15-hour range instead of the three to five-hour range. It has much more uh, more impressive art assets than any than any of your preceding games and uh, just a lot more writing and systems and just just it's just a more involved and denser rpg than all of your ones uh, previously uh but your but cthulhu saves christmas is uh is is not quite as heavy um and and i i don't know what your uh what your development time on it was but i i'm i i, I would bet money it's less than 3 years <laughs> Yeah, we actually started work on it. We started talking about it in December, January, and of 2018-2019. Yeah, I think we came up with the idea in December of last year, and then started actually talking about, oh, should we actually do this for real in January? I think we didn't actually start like actively working on assets and code and all that until February. So. You know, from conception to, you know, release date, it was about a year. We were bouncing around a lot of ideas. Like, mm -hmm. we, we always do before we start something. So when Robert says we were, like, initially talking about it and deciding, it's like we had two or three, per, like, games that we were seriously on the table. And oh, I, I know about at least one of them because uh, Robert had a... Uh one or two minor tweet storms about an idea called RX Machina, which I'm, I'm still interested in. I'm not, even though I'm not sure if that idea has been abandoned or, or just temporarily shelved. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> we'll get real excited about two or three ideas at the same time. And then eventually we just go with one of them that we think is the right, that it's the right time for the right time for us. Like personally, you know, cause with, after cosmic we would we wanted to do something really light like with a lighter tone that can be shorter and like something silly and something that we could do and it was like kind of around december january so holidays had just kind of passed and so it was on our mind but you know we we both still like the um rx machina idea and the other one which was a zomb uh, zombie strategy rpg idea mm, yeah I, oh, I think you probably did mention that one 
on social media also, but the one that stuck more vividly in my mind yeah. was RX Machina. And the uh, RX Machina, to um, to paraphrase, was an idea that felt like something in between, I don't know, like like Trauma Center and a mecha game and the animated film Osmosis Jones, where where people. Uh, like defeat ailments or viruses inside someone by go- going into mechs, then shrinking, and then going inside the person's body to um to, I'm to absolutely to, there for that. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> that isn't, doesn't that sound like the best anim- episode of the Magic School Bus ever conceived? <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. So like like when you um when you pitched that loosely on social media, I was I was on board from minute zero. And uh, but but was pleasantly surprised to hear about Cthulhu Saves Christmas just because I mean I mean from the title that's just and and knowing that you guys made a a very entertaining Cthulhu game several years ago uh, I was on board from the beginning and uh, Jono I, I know you're also like me feeling a little bit under the weather so you've been quieter than Greg and I but uh, you are reviewing Cthulhu Saves Christmas for the site and hopefully yeah and hopefully that'll be up in the in the next few weeks i, I know that i know that alana is the busiest woman on the in the world and mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not exactly sure when that's going up but it might so, be going up like it might be going up in a day or two or actually it might already be up. Oh, oh okay yeah because um we, we are recording you know uh days or weeks in 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 the past of this of this episode being posted so uh um now i, I know you've played at least some of the z-board games maybe maybe not all of them but, no, I played uh, all. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. So, what were your what were your expectations and ideas going into Cthulhu Saves Christmas, and what were your first impressions of it? Because we're trying to avoid the end game, talking about the end game here. Uh, my first impressions of the game were that, well, first off, I decided I wanted to replay uh, Saves the World because it had been a while since I played it. What amazes me about it, it's been a few years, and I laughed just as hard as I did the first time. The game is just, I mean, guys, the game is just damn funny. Um, so you go to the really... you go to the top of the tower to try and find a magic sword, but instead of equipping the sword, the sword joins your party. I I love every second about that. Oh, it's a brilliant concept, guys. <laughs> and I mean, just the central concept of the game being becoming a hero to destroy the world is such an absurd piece of work. It's just great. Um, so when I was starting up uh, Saves Christmas, I was really excited to see about you know hopefully that same tone was going to be there. I knew it was a prequel, um, and I. I mean, you guys are getting a good review. I finished the game yesterday um, because I thought it was such a great culmination of everything you guys have done since Cthulhu. Um, like, obviously, the, the graphic style, the, the battle system um, was very reminiscent. It might even be the same system as Cosmic Star Heroine, and you guys merged it with what made the battle system of Saves the World so fun. How did you guys... Uh, did you guys look at the past game at Saves, at Saves the World, and how... How did you guys want to take what was great about that game and put it into this game? Well, okay, so the original genesis of the idea, you know, it was during holidays and stuff, and we were like, one of the things that propelled us to do this was kind of reminiscing on, like, games that we'd done in the past and what worked and what didn't. And Cthulhu Saves the World was is has been our best-selling game we've ever done, and a big part of that is because of the Steam launch you know, back in the heyday. So, uh, you know, once we decided on it, we wanted to um, really lean in on the dialogue and the silliness that was in the original Cthulhu Saves the World, but kind of morph it with Cosmic Star Heroine. Uh, Not just because, like, we've learned a lot and we've done a lot more interesting things with our newer games, but also because we wanted to save time and effort by 
reusing a lot of stuff from Cosmic Star Heroine. We didn't want to do another four-year game, but we didn't also we also didn't want to just you know make Cosmic Star Heroine two. So uh, you know Robert had the idea of kind of simplifying the Cosmic Star Heroine formula by you know mm-hmm. narrow everything down to just four characters like we've done in our some of our other games. I guess not that many if you count the monsters you collect in Rain Slick and so forth. Yeah, that's that's really uh, only, that's really yeah that's really right. only true of Rain, Rain Slick three and Breath of Death I think because all uh, even Cthulhu Saves the World has a secret right. character and and maybe seven or eight main characters. Yeah, it's got a bunch. But to keep this, but it, it makes more sense to have fewer characters with a shorter game because we weren't planning on this being ten twenty hours. We wanted like a four or five hour game. Yeah, you guys had even pointed that out in the dialogue. Yeah, it even says it on the Steam store page. If you scroll down, it says this game is only four or five hours long. We, we want that's a selling point too. By the way, like there's not a lot of RPGs that are like, you know, just four or five hour long. And we wanted something that's a holiday, like a breezy holiday playthrough in a year between playing, you know, your big AAA releases that come out in November and the end of the year. You can sit down with this and crank it out, you know, and have a good time in. One or two or three days, and still not leave your family forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it's and, it, and it's part of the season. So it, you know, for a lot of people, they want to play something that gets you know that fits the mood of the season too. But as far as mechanically and as and thematically, we wanted to combine it with Cosmic Star Heroine, you know, to save some time and effort, and also build on what worked. So Robert simplified the Cosmic Star Heroine formula, and in doing that. Um, in combining it with with uh, Cthulhu Saves the World, it also helped simplify it. It reduced the number of characters. It turned, uh, instead of having programs, you have the Unites, which is something Breath of Death and Cthulhu Saves the World has, mm-hmm. which are really fun. People, uh, it's just really fun to have, like, two characters do a combined move. And so it, it brought that back, and it brought, um, we brought back the limited encounters that are that are random, but they're limited in quantity, Right, what? and and, uh, and you did that for um, Breath of Death and Cthulhu Saves the World, where you, right. there's there's even an enemy counter in the dungeon you're in as as how many you have left. Exactly, and that and that's something people like to see because they know that once they fought enough fights, they can just expre floor uh, expre freely, or choose to battle more just to grind it out. Because a lot of players like to grind and just become super powerful. So that's something people loved with Cthulhu Saves the World and Breath of Death, and we put that into this game so that we could have random encounters, which, again, it's, it goes back to what I was saying. Like, it's easier to make a game with random encounters than it is to build something like Cosmic Star Hero when you have enemies on the maps roaming around and you have all these extra frames of animation and all this extra work Robert's got to do uh, coding in their little, you know, routines on the map. By having random encounters... It, it feels more like a sequel, or in this case, prequel to Cthulhu Saves the World by having those random encounters and having those limited number of battles, but it also cuts way down on the amount of you know time and effort and work we have to do to get the game done. And that's exactly what we were trying, you know, shooting for with this. It, that's how it combined the original game, the, the idea of, and the designs from the original with, like, sort of the basis we had with Cosmic Star Hero and with the end goal of making something that's shorter and breezier and also not a huge burden to develop. Well, I thought many of the choices you guys made with, uh, I guess, in, to save development time, for example, uh, in the town, 
sections, I kind of felt like using the tableaus rather than fully animated sections kind of made it feel like a Christmas storybook, which I really liked. That's a really cool uh, analogy or comparison because originally we were going to do a visual novel style thing for all those scenes. And we've always wanted to do some kind of quirky visual novel in our games. Even the original Cthulhu Saves the World, there's going to be a a sort of dating sim visual novel between (laughs) Cthulhu and Umi. Do you remember that, Robert? That was an idea. Yeah, we yeah we were thinking of making that as a joke, just have a little segment turn into a visual novel, and you know, time restraints. We never actually implemented it. Yeah, and it was specifically the scene where uh, Cthulhu goes to like a not a bar and, and has root beer or whatever, and it was going to be like him and Umi or something. It was going to take place then, but yeah, it was way out of our skill set and time budget and everything at the time. So we're like, hey, let's do something like that for this. And it would give us an opportunity to really lean in on the characters and the writing for this game. Since we knew it would be short in terms of like, you know, there weren't going to be a million dungeons and we weren't planning on having a giant overworld to explore. We wanted to really give the player a lot more opportunities to like experience dialogue and have some dialogue choices. And well, okay, you're probably going to know the comparison that I'm making to the uh, to the town segments in Cthulhu Saves Christmas well in advance, but uh, and, and they're they're even called relationships, a portmanteau of you know relier and relationship, which is again hilarious. But this feels a lot like persona social linking to me, in a, in a way that's very smart. The uh, player has to make choices as to which characters or which settings they want to visit and spend time with, and even tells you. Uh, the reward ahead of time for which uh, relationship segment you choose, but also time limits the player. They can't go and, and clear every relationship scene in the game in Cthulhu Saves Christmas. So it, it I think that adds an element of player choice and uh, and sort of and party customization and design that uh, I think is really smart and worked great and is an, and to me was an uh, an homage to social links that was also very amusing and I. Uh, I, I I went pretty basic with my choices. I went to hang out with party members as much as possible because it uh, because it felt like you know you know my first instinct was make my party strong, even though some of the rewards for other ones might have been better. But uh, the the uh, the brief scenes and dialogue that you have in each relationship is uh, really really good. I, I would say character building dialogue, and it uh, and I was um, consistently entertained throughout. But one other thing. I wanted to ask you guys about um, this goes back a little bit to the uh, choices that you made to sort of streamline the RPG experience. One one thing that m- most of your games do, maybe not all of them, is that you uh, you heal every character's HP and restore things like skills and items uh, between every battle. There's no more you know playing Final Fantasy IV and casting cure on all of your characters in between every fight to get their health up. You got rid of the in in between battle tinkering because i mean how useful is that it's it's it, it, it just makes your mp a uh a fast depleting resource and i think breath of death 7 had that a little bit because you your characters were may correct me if i'm wrong your characters restored health but not in be- mp between battles or or just limited mp rest- restoration between battles but almost all of your recent games have uh 
items being restored and health being restored in between battles, so there's no in-between battle tinkering unless there's a new item or skill to mess with. And I, I just found that so refreshing. It's one thing I find irritating about RPGs that I never have to think about again. And uh, and also allows for interesting ideas like item-based like item offense because you don't deplete items permanently when using them in battle. And uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it opened up a few really great creative doors and made, I think, a better player experience by doing that. So thank, so thank you for that, for that small choice that you've made over the past couple of years. <laughs> but uh, back to Cthulhu Saves Christmas. The premise is ridiculous. Cthulhu awakens, sees a present from Santa Claus. The present is actually a trap that drains all of his powers. And very, very soon, he meets Santa Claus's granddaughter, Crystal, and, is, and embarks on a quest to defeat the, uh, what, what is it, the Seven Christmas Evils? League of Christmas Evil. The League of Christmas Evil. To uh, defeat them and restore, Santa, and restore Santa to his uh, frozen throne, as it were. And uh, I, I don't want to spoil everything that happens. Uh, and again, I think I think I'm about four or five uh, of the league deep in my p- current playthrough. But the entire League of Christmas Evil and, and your the two party members, other than Crystal and Cthulhu, are all uh, denizens of Christmas folklore or myth. And uh, like your your first uh, boss fight is against Jack Frost, except it's a it's a mecha version of him. Uh, eventually, you fight you fight another mecha, but it's a mecha. It's a like a Voltron up uh, Mouse King from the Nutcracker Suite. Honestly, I would kill to see that in the ballet. Right? <laughs> if there if the entire ballet was just a mecha story, and both the Nutcracker and the Mouse King were just were just just ta- just towering robots in a with like with earth shattering. Uh, strikes as their as their as their battle. I I would be 100 percent into that. I swear to God, that's a million dollar idea right there. <laughs> oh man, I, I'd watch just a standalone cartoon about uh, that was the Nutcracker Suite done with done as a space opera. That that sounds brilliant to me. But that, that that's a little bit beyond what Cthulhu Saves Christmas is. So so uh, you, you drew from a lot of influences to create these characters and main villains. I I I wasn't aware of Belsnickel as a. Uh, as a subject of an episode of The Office until now, because I'm not a watcher of that show. <laughs> but uh, when you were writing this, the plot of this game and coming up with the character ideas, uh, uh, you, you clearly had a, had a blast. But um, was there anything that was either you were really excited to include or disappointed got cut? Because I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what some of the discarded names here are. Um, but like For me personally, I really liked... Uh including Baba Yaga into it. Mm-hmm. I was first introduced to Baba Yaga through the Quest for Glory series. Okay. Yeah, showing how old I am. But, now, okay, and, and showing how young I am, is there any John Wick references in this game? <laughs> is there any John Wick references? I don't think so. Oh, darn. Okay, My um, wife's a big fan of the series, but I haven't myself well your wife has excellent taste i i adore john wick and uh his his hitman nickname is baba yega in uh in the first john wick movie especially oh, yeah i've heard that okay they call him but, yeah, baba yega the <laughs> mythical characters we wanted to put a twist on them so like mm-hmm. with baba yaga she always shows up as a you know super old witch so we thought oh you know we'll animate her up and you know make her a young girl in this one and, but I also like that you called that out, the whole idea of like, oh, it's okay to hit on the young girl because she's several thousand years old. Mm. And she's like, no, I'm straight up, so don't be weird. 
<laughs> and we we leaned in on the whole like chicken theme around like the chicken. Yeah, you did. You gave her a whole chicken stat and chicken meter to manipulate. <laughs> she's basically Gonzo from the Muppets. Oh uh, yeah. Well, she's got a chicken on her head too, which is another character in the game. You just uh, you don't play as Bok Bok. Uh, is it? No, it's Cluck Cluck. Sorry, my daughter has a, a a toy chicken named Bok Bok. So this whole time I'm like, is his name Bok Bok or Cluck Cluck? But uh, Cluck Cluck is also a character that you interact with, sort of kinda. And you also have the chicken power battle mechanic when you get Baba Yaga on your team. Yeah, I'm I'm not the best at manipulating the chicken meter. I'll, I'll be like, oh, whatever chicken meter this that. What does the most damage? <laughs> yeah, oh, I could, it just basically boosts his, the success rate, I guess, of the chicken powers more or less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives a multiplier to the damage or ailment power. Yeah, um, uh, double at 100 percent and triple at 200 percent. And there's there's a lot of ways of manipulating chicken meter as I've uh, that I've discovered, and, and I'm only at maybe the 60 percent mark of playing the game. And, and uh, the whole strategy of the whole combat, yeah, there's lots to manipulate and oh, yeah. figure out. And it's, it's kind of overwhelming, but also when you get it, you get it, and you feel super smart and satisfied. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, Cthulhu is uh, mostly straight-up offense. Crystal is sort of offense and defense with a lot of abilities that freeze or stun. And then Belsnickel is sort of healing, boosting, and offense with some more elemental variety than uh it's super into child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his his his, uh, his weapon is a whip, and he is very much of the trick-or-treat school, school of giving candy to children, um, <laughs> even, though he, even though he celebrated on a different holiday. But uh, one thing that you thought was, I thought was really interesting that wasn't in Cthulhu Saves the World was that you, uh, um, you uh, characters have limited, have limited ability selection, and around half of them you can equip and unequip like, uh, you know, like, like you would um, weapons on an equipment screen. But the other half are insane abilities, which are <laughs> selected at random from a pool that the character has. And, uh, and when you, uh, you use a recharge or defend skill... Um, your the insane abilities can be re-rolled again, so it's a it's a little bit of a slot machine figuring out what care what skills your characters even have going into battle. And I wonder, I mean, I'm playing on the medium difficulty, which I think I think the difficulties are sane, insane, and then uh, oh I forget what the last one is, um, Lovecraftian or something. Um, but on the highest difficulty, would rolling the wrong abilities in a, in a battle uh like be a factor like like cause someone to re to reload save because i i have i never play things on the highest difficulty first yeah but, with the highest difficulty i i don't i mean clearly it'll it, it's easier or harder depending on which of the random abilities you get but i don't think it'll make or break any of the battles if you have a solid right. strategy and preparation going into it. Alright, because I know that um, your games are always beatable with a, even with a moder moderate grind or light grind on a normal difficulty, but uh, where the difficulty really sinks in is when you, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, where the real challenge of your game sinks in is when you r ratchet up the difficulty to highest and then try to complete the end game or secret challenges. And and those can get pretty hairy. I I have not done all of them in all of your games, uh, so I'm, I'm but I'm interested to put some more time into Cthulhu Saves Christmas and see exactly how deep the rabbit hole goes there. Um, I've always I, felt that the I've always felt that one of the best things about your games is that, um, specifically the battle systems are more like uh, 
well, in a way, almost like a puzzle game. You cannot play these things just by pressing fight, 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 and plow your way through. If you're not paying attention, you're going to die. Um, I think, and while the aesthetics of it are reminiscent of like Final Fantasy VI and Penny Arcade, or in this, or in the last two games, a little bit reminiscent of Chrono Trigger, the battle system is so original and focused. I, you just can't go on autopilot to play these, and I think that's one of the best things about your uh, interpretation of the turn-based RPG systems. Yeah, and, and, and by not including uh, a limiting resource like MP, uh, characters can use their best and most powerful skills almost by choice, and really using the skills in the proper order and equipping the right skills is, uh, is a big part of the strategy. I, I think that all of your games have done a brilliant job of um, skill synergy and skill choice. And uh, uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas is no exception, and I'm... Again, I'm, I haven't hit endgame stuff yet, so I'm, I'm excited to see exactly how, how weird and how interesting the battle mechanics get. The last fight is good. Oh, it it's, is? It's it's really good. Okay, okay. Um, don't tell me what it is, but... Uh, oh, and, and, and is, there a, is there a secret fight or a post-game fight in, uh, in Cthulhu Saves Christmas? Because I've enjoyed the ones in your previous games that I've played. Um, there is not, because we were thinking of maybe as a patch probably to go with any potential console launches to add a new game plus mode to the game. I think that's really smart because I mean there are so many uh, there are so many things you can still do in the Christmas town that are undone by the end of the game and a new game yeah. plus would let you go in there. That in a new game plus you would be able to get most of them taken care of plus there'd be a few extra events that you only get in that mode. That that makes sense, and to fulfill the persona analogy in the new game, plus the uh, all of your social stats are probably maxed or near max, so you can so <laughs> you can social link uh, um, at your own liberty. And uh, one thing I loved about Cthulhu Saves the World, your again your second RPG from back in twenty in twenty ten twenty eleven, I think in later releases and the Steam release, there was a second playthrough called Cthulhu's Angels, where you go through the same dungeons and reutilize many of the same art assets. But uh, the characters are different, and the story is different, um, which you were able to do because, again, you were uh, like all the overworld stuff basically stayed the same, except for which characters were following behind Cthulhu. But it was a totally new story that had some really, really fun ideas behind it. Um, do you think that would be something you would consider, like, like basically a retelling of Cthulhu Saves Christmas, but with uh, with new story and and uh, and new characters? Um, that's something we've definitely considered we don't right. have any plans to do it at the moment but Cthulhu you know, saves Easter <laughs> no uh, yeah or Hanukkah also consider you know we could do different holidays I don't know about Easter since that's more somber than Christmas is so we could probably pick some you know silly holiday oh uh, yeah holiday. Uh, Cthulhu the nightmare before Halloween bring back October <laughs> You can just poke fun at uh, us having uh, Thanksgiving earlier, you having Thanksgiving late, and, you know, just Cthulhu saves the other Thanksgiving. <laughs> sort it out from there. <laughs> Cthulhu saves Kwanzaa, but Kwanzaa is spelled with C-H. Uh, there's, you, you have several avenues you could go, you could go down if you um, were to add content or make a, make a follow-up to Cthulhu saves Christmas. And, and, uh, and frankly, I'd be interested in any of them because I... Uh, I, I enjoy all the RPGs you make, and it, it sounds like you had a 
considerably breezier time making this than Cosmic Star Heroine, which again is a, a turnaround of maybe 11 months versus three and a half to four years. Uh, and that reminds me of a, a question I had for you. Um, again, you probably aren't thinking this far ahead, but do you think that your pattern going forward over, say, the next five years would be more short development time games like Cthulhu Saves Christmas or maybe alternating shorter game with more ambitious game uh, like you've done with, you know, uh, like Cthulhu Saves the World, Cosmic Star Heroine, then Cthulhu Saves Christmas. Like, wh which of those patterns is more likely? Focusing big, focusing small, or, al or alternating? Speaking for myself, I think this one turned out really well. And I also think that, you know, there's all these big companies creating these epic RPGs, uh, but there isn't really anybody creating, you know, nice bite-sized RPGs. So personally, I think that, you know, going on, you know, doing smaller games that take less time or, you know, alternating it between, you know, smaller games and then medium-sized games. I, I personally don't have any desire to do another, you know, massive you know, four-year project. <laughs> I'd rather try to figure out how to work efficiently and rather than, you know, just work on the same thing for, you know, year after year. So, so just to, like, add to that point, uh, there's a balance we have to strike, which is one of the reasons that Cthulhu Saves Christmas didn't take, you know, years and years to do is because we took cosmic star heroine as a basis and like tweaked it and reworked what was there we didn't have to build a bunch of new we didn't have to build a whole bunch of new stuff to make it but we can't do that forever we can't just keep you know remixing our cosmic star heroine base forever and ever and ever because people would get burned out on it it would get boring like you can only do that so many times so at a certain point we'll have to do something kind of entire not maybe maybe almost entirely new just because we can't grind the same basic framework into the ground so you know it worked really well and, and Cthulhu Saves Christmas went really well because we had all this stuff to begin with but you know we can't we can't r replicate that again next year and again next year and again next year and again, mm -hmm. again next year because people will get burned out on our games and we'll get burned out on doing the same thing so at a certain point we'll have to do sort of a an overhaul or something entirely, entirely different. All right. Well, that, that sounds very exciting to me again. Uh, whenever you, whenever you announce something new, I'll be interested in it, whether it's uh, RX Machina or a zombie strategy game, both of which sounds like they would need um, something a little bit different from what the cosmic star heroine framework uh, provides mm -hmm. or, or another, uh, you know, holiday follow-up, um, Cthulhu born on the 4th of July. I don't, I don't know. You get, uh, let your imaginations run wild there. Valentine's Day. Mm, it, that, that's, that's the romantic visual novel that you're talking about. Just have it be, uh, be a, an Otome game starring Umi, where, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the Cthulhu route has him very indifferent until the very final scene. <laughs> if, if we're following what happened in uh, Cthulhu Saves the World. I think one of the reasons why Cthulhu Saves Christmas is so successful is because, like, like any short work, like a short story, short play, or a short game, uh, by necessity, it needs a certain amount of uh, focus. Like, you really need to just do this one thing. Um, and because of that, this game kind of reminded me, I guess I was just in a holiday frame of mind, 
it kind of reminded me of a uh, a stocking stuffer. Like sometimes the best <laughs> gifts you get are just they're stocking stuffers. They're not the big ticket items. They're not the 120 hour RPGs. They're the really the really cool, really great experience that you can have in a couple of hours. And because of that, this seems to be almost a recurring theme. Starts Cosmic Star Heroin aside, where your games um, they're not bite sized, but they are digestible. Uh, they're digestible in a few hours, which has led to, at least to my eye, a very aggressive pricing strategy, especially on Steam, like you're packaging uh, Breath of Death 7 and and Saves the World together, or you guys had the promotion, or maybe it was Steam had the promotion where Cosmic Star Heroine came with uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas. I've always been curious, what is your philosophy about uh, how you price your games and the offerings that you uh, put out there for gamers? Well, uh, the biggest goal we have is to make sure it's a good value to like a person just generally in our market. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of debate about this kind of stuff online, especially with the indie developers. You know, what do you price your game? Are you undervaluing it? Are you overpricing it? It won't sell. But we've been doing it since the very beginning. Our, Our goal is for someone to look at what they're getting and think like, just just by default, not not because it's on sale or whatever, but to look at the what you're getting and what the price is and think, yeah, this is a really good buy. I feel good purchasing this because I'm getting this amount of a game and it's this quality for what I'm paying. You know, anytime there's a sale or a, a discount, it's just, you know, bonus. And yeah, I, with you guys, I would argue that your the return on investment dollar per gameplay is ridiculously high on your games. And that's one of the things I, I, I love about you guys and love about your games. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on multiple tangents at once here. Uh, brevity is the soul of wit. Hamlet taught us this. But it, I mean, a, a short, dense, rewarding experience is great. And uh, for all of your games, uh, uh, to my experience, they never wear out their welcome. I, I've played RPGs that are sixty or seventy hours, and by hour fifty, I was ready for it to end. And that's uh, that's never been the case with one of yours. Like by the time it ends, it was either the perfect time for it to end, or I wish it had gone on longer. So that that's a, a, a one point in your favor. And second, um, I, I, all all of us are in our thirties or, or older, and so uh, we don't really have the time to play a hundred hour RPGs all the time, or or thirst for really long games all the time, like maybe we did when we were younger. Like I I know that's the case for me, and we've talked about this a lot on Retro Encounter. There is real value in a game that doesn't waste your time and delivers a great experience in a short time. We played for the podcast East the Oath and Felgana earlier this year, which is 10 or 11 hours, and a, just a really rock-solid action RPG in those, t- in those 10 hours. And, I, and the whole, after I finished it, I was just totally delighted, like, man, this is, I, I wish I had a 10-hour RPG every month to play. Because because my time is more valuable as an adult, and we have more work and family obligations, and we and I can't play a one a sixty seventy hour RPG every month like I like I used to as a younger player person. So thank you for um, catering to the niche of people our age who still love RPGs but can't but uh, but balk at the idea of replaying Persona Three for eighty uh, for eighty hours. That that was a, a specific desire of mine. Because you know, I play lots of RPGs, but you know, you buy, you know, Dragon Quest Eleven on the Switch, and that's what you're going to be playing for the next couple months. Minimum. Don't get Solosi started, please. I also, you know, would like it if there were more. You know, once a month, once every other month, there was a five to ten hour game that was just 
you know, all killer, no filler, you know, as a nice palate cleanser between the huge long investment games that take forever to play. And also, um, back to your pricing structure, uh, I, I don't want to sound like I'm flippant with money or anything, because I'm because I'm I'm definitely not. I'm I, I am not the most well paid individual. But I've had disappointing sandwiches that cost eight dollars. <laughs> so, so so um, I, and Cthulhu Saves Christmas is ten dollars on Steam and had a nine and had a uh, a ten percent discount for its first few weeks. So a nine dollar RPG that I was pretty sure I was going to enjoy that I ended up liking a lot is a an excellent value proposition to me. I, I am that, no longer that no, came with another free game. Yeah, that's right, and I, I already owned CSH, so I, I gifted it to a friend, um, which, which is which is very much in the spirit of Christmas, but the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's part of the reason why we did it. We, you know, oh, hey, buy our game and get a free gift for yourself or for somebody else. Excellent. And, um, I, I, like, I'm not, I, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, economics teaches us that you can't measure utility, but, I, and I, but I'm definitely not measuring games in, uh, in hours played per dollar spent anymore, if, if I ever did. So I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that's part of your... Of, of your game design philosophy to create these rich or dense experiences in a, with a re, with a reasonable uh, hour count. So with regards also to the brevity, I mean, coming from a place of being a parent and having uh, a daughter who uh, well-versed in a lot of games and enjoys your RPGs and such, but uh, commitment isn't a big thing with nine-year-olds. Uh, so having also a short game like this that I, like I've having played through most of it now, I know I can hand this to Gwen and she would probably find it very enjoyable, especially the, like I was, was going through an easy mode just because we were on such a time crunch and it's, you know, it, it gives you enough of the story. It's pretty simple, uh, but still has just enough strategy and challenge. So it's like, it's kind of just right for a girl uh, her age. And I'm really interested to see if she will take to it or not. And she'll probably have many questions about what the heck Cthulhu and all that stuff is. But uh, it's a learning experience, whatever. But I think there's there's value in that too. Like, it, it, like you're absolutely right, Mike. That at our age, it is hard to commit to those bigger, long things. But I think there's something to be said that because the tone of this game isn't super serious and isn't as dark as Cthulhu could be, like I feel comfortable showing this to my daughter. I mean, we talked about this in the podcast on Random Encounter a bit ago about how Hero Land seems like something I should be able to present to my daughter. But from the sounds of it, it's way too long. Overstays is welcome. And it's so tonally all over the place with how it uses language that I don't feel comfortable with her playing it. What was it so, you said? The, the otter says. The otter says. Oh, uh, he, he basically calls someone a dick. And, yeah. And it's just like I was like, what? And like that's not super offensive, but like again, it's not the kind of thing I want my daughter going around being like, should I call people dicks? And like, no, no, you shouldn't. You know, like, and but because this cutesy kind of environment shows that, whereas here everything, yeah, it's pretty harmless, but also still very uh it's grim enough as it is right and just the right amount and i don't know i think she would enjoy it so i'm curious to show it to her but she, we haven't had her around for this part of the holidays so she has not seen it yet but uh yeah it's great that i can share that with her yeah and i have six children and they i've How? tried to make my what what <laughs> Why would you do that? But no, yeah, well, you know, the last one was twins, that so we weren't planning on six. Oh, that that makes sense. Okay. Uh, but yeah, with like our last game, uh, one of my daughters played through the whole thing on easy mode and really liked it. So that's at the back of my head when we're making our games, just making sure that you know it's clean and it's fun and 
you know, there's an easy enough difficulty that, you know, my kids could play it, even though they're not, you know, they're young and they're not expert RPGers. And uh, one last comment, uh, uh, Jono mentioned, someone brought up Dragon Quest XI, and then Jono said, don't get Solosi started on that one. And uh, Jono's correct in saying that, but I, I will, but, but let, let me just say, I had to take, I took four days of paid leave off uh, to, to, to get enough time to play that game in early October of 2018 uh, for the PS4 version. So yeah, I had to take time off work, and I, and I work in a civil engineering office. To, to to play the latest game in my favorite series. So so yeah, I had to have an adult solution to a uh, to a less adult problem. <laughs> well, that's a good game to pick. You know, to spend your vacation time on. Oh oh yeah. Again, don't get me started. But it's gratifying to be able to not as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be able to afford the game and afford the time, but it's it's hard. I mean, I even play finding time to even play a game this short was a challenge for me, just because it's holidays, and yeah, I should be able to rip through this game really quickly. But then stuff comes up, and as I'm sure you you uh, you know Robert as well, having a family, you can't always predict when like oh this child's sick or oh my wife's going through something and needs my support or whatever. It can be a challenge, and uh, it's hard to balance sometimes. So, yeah, being able to come to this and just get through it a little quicker and feel satisfied with that, it's nice to have that option. Definitely. Well, what really amazes me is, I mean, you're talking about families, and I this this has been on my mind since I played it. Like, for the last few weeks, uh, especially in December, I you know, I was running around. I was trying to get tickets to get, visit my parents in Nova Scotia, buying presents, putting up uh, putting things up. Like it's, it's, it's the holiday season. Um, and you guys decided to do all that and you released a game on December 23rd. Um, what was it like launching a game, uh, right at Christmas time? Like in terms of the time commitment, like, what was that like? Well, just what's funny. I have to mention this. It was felt very much like the original Cthulhu saves the world, which we also launched at like December 31st, I think. Back yeah, in well, the 30th the or 31st. Yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's not easy because you're, you know, you're trying to do your last minute polishing and bug fixing and playthroughs. You're trying to send out review codes and get in touch with people. And you're trying to, you know, just ping everybody. And you're trying to work with the storefronts to get everything set up, you know, set up. Ideally, you get that stuff set up, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of time. But, you know, this kind of thing is not always predictable. So it's a great big giant rush. And you're also trying to do family stuff because it's the holidays and family's in from out of town for me. Or, you know, you know, and Robert's got a big family over there with kids that want to do Christmas stuff. Oh, yeah. And I know I know what that's like. My I my mom was one of nine children. So I have an infinite number of aunts and uncles and cousins to visit every year. That keeps you busy. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't easy, but um, Steam and GOG, the two platform, good old games, you know, they were super helpful, especially the GOG, the good old games, the GOG people with our, our last minute rush and our contact at Steam was super, super understanding and helpful. And they kind of, you know, tagged our game as, you know, hey, this is coming out real soon. Let's put it in the list, you know, don't, don't, don't sleep on this one so we can get it launched. So they were a huge help. I, uh, right, and it, it was really on us for not getting everything yeah. taken care of earlier. So right. it was 
very accommodating, very nice of them to go to all that effort to make sure that we got it out before Christmas. Yeah. Guys, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry, but I live across the street from a Best Buy and I looked out the window on Christmas uh, on the 23rd and that parking lot was packed. Everyone leaves things until yeah. the last moment of Christmas. Uh, yeah, preach uh, to the choir here. Um, also, was uh, did you did you pick up your copy of this at Abercrombie Video? Did they did they have that for you, John? <laughs> <laughs> my my local I in, I live in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, and the video store I grew up with, Abercrombie Video, is it huh. might be one of the only video stores left in Nova Scotia, and I I went by it, and it's still there. Huh. I I live within walking distance of a Target, and uh, like a fool. Um, on Christmas Eve, I went, walked over there just to get some basic items like, you know, your bread and milk or, or something, completely forgetting that it was Christmas Eve. And uh, let's say that it was a little more crowded than I was used to. So there's, I was going to say there's, it's probably quite a lineup just to get milk. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was, the, I was the only person in the in the dairy frozen section. <laughs> but it was uh, – What about all the eggnog lovers? Come on. I, I think I can speak for all three of us when I say, I mean, I know that you guys were really, really busy, obviously, getting this thing together. But, I mean, thank you for doing it because this, this was a really good Christmas present. <laughs> Agreed. Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a blast. I, th- this game will be crossed off my list on uh, January 1st or 2nd. We're, we're, uh, we're recording before the new year to, you know, pull up the curtain for a, for a moment. But uh, I, I think this is... Uh, an excellent entry into the Z-Boyd lineup and uh, people that have the nine or ten bucks to spare and mm-hmm. and and some level of appreciation of a of a of modern RPG ideas in an old school RPG framework with really excellent writing and characters. Uh, if any of that sounds all right, then you should pick this one up. Uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas. Um, check Steam. Check GOG and possibly other platforms at a later date. Yeah, um, definitely. We want to get this on other platforms. Uh, we're just, we just want to get this, uh, all, you know, everything all fixed, you know, whatever final touch-ups need, need doing. And like Robert said earlier, maybe we can do a, a new game plus if we can launch it on other, other platforms or consoles. And please do not completely abandon the ideas of RX Machina or Cthulhu uh, subverting or rescuing another holiday, because those are ideas I'd be very interested in, selfishly. Please, please don't forget those ideas. It could just be like Charlie Brown, where you just keep releasing spinoffs set for different holidays. <laughs> Cthulhu oh, saves Labor Day. Pumpkin. Who <laughs> saves the great pumpkin? Hey, the 1960s and 70s had those Rankin Bass claymation specials. The 2010s and 2020s can have Z Boyd Cthulhu video games. I, I believe in you guys. <laughs> All right, so, okay, now if I brought up the Rankin Bass Christmas specials that had the elf in the Rudolph one that looks like Link from uh, from Wind Waker, you, you know what I'm talking about? The elf that wants to be a dentist? If, if I'm talking about an elf that yeah. wants to be a dentist, then I think we're at the end of the episode. Um, thank you, listeners, for uh, for joining us on this journey through um, through Z-Boyd's oeuvre, focusing on Cthulhu Saves Christmas. And thank you especially, Robert Boyd and Bill Sternberg, for uh, for agreeing to show up on the podcast. You're the first special guest we've ever had, and I think I, and, and I think we made very fine choices in doing so. It was a complete delight talking to you. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for having us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a blast. We'll fire you guys off a copy of the review when it's done, but 
Yep, I think you'll like it. <laughs> that sounds like uh, above the Metacritic average coming from Jono, but um, but uh, but we'll <laughs> I I don't know what the number is yet, so we'll uh, we'll see exactly how that turns out. But um, let's talk about how um, RPG fo- podcasts turn out over the next couple of months. Um, later in January, Retro Encounter is going to have two episodes on Suikoden Five, hosted by Zach. Uh, that uh, Suikoden Five won a listener poll that we conducted a few months ago, so um, those episodes are finally coming in the second half of January. Plus, we're going to have an episode all about AI the Somnium Files, which was my personal favorite video game story of of uh of 2019 so i'm gonna we're gonna get real spoilery talking about that thing in a few weeks and uh greg we have a couple random encounters coming up in the in the lineup right uh, we sure do uh we are hoping to get a, a group of folks together to kind of discuss uh the game of the year features when they all come out live on rpgfan.com and also, uh, I'm hoping that at this point, listeners have reached out to me as well, because uh, we want to hear your experiences from past year of uh, playing RPGs and such. So, send you guys, Bill, Robert, email me in. Tell me your favorite moments of playing video games last week. We'll talk about them on the podcast. Whatever. That's what we want to do. Excellent. Um, so, email podcast at RPGfan.com if you want to um, ring into <laughs> Random Encounter, or retro at rpgfan.com if you want to ask a question to us at Retro Encounter. And uh, RPG Fan also hosts two other fine podcasts, um, Rhythm Encounter about RPG music, which is sadly on hiatus, and uh, Phoenix Edge, which is mostly focused on current events and is uh, recorded live on YouTube every week. So please check out all four podcasts in the RPG Fan family and uh, everything else the site has to offer, including an Instagram page, Twitter, Facebook, uh, something streaming on Twitch every day, uh, a Discord server that you can find links to everything RPG Fan does on RPGFan.com. So uh, starting with our special guests, um, what are the best ways for listeners to reach you guys? Basically, basically tell us where your social media lives. Uh, starting with you, Bill. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter easily. I'm at Bill at Z-Boy. That's at and then B-I-L-L underscore uh, A-T underscore Z-Boy. And also we have our Z- official Z-Boy Twitter, which is at Z-Boy Games. Excellent. And uh, Robert, your turn. Um, yeah, we have my Twitter account's Where's Umpire. Uh, so that's W-E-R-E-Z-O-M-P-I-R-E. And we also have a Discord channel that we have, you know, that we, you know, talk in and talk to fans and answer questions and just chat about video games. And yeah, oh, that's the Z-Boy uh, Digital Entertainment channel. I, yeah, you can find links to it on, from our Twitter account or, you know, ask us if, and we can give you a link or just search for it. It should pop up. It's not private, I don't think. Excellent. I'll, I'll have to join that later today. Uh, and Greg, how can listeners find you? Uh, I'm at Greg Delmage or at G Delmage pretty much everywhere on the web, but at Greg Delmage most of the time. And G Delmage on our Discord. Uh, we're at uh, RPG Fan. And Jono. Uh, at Jono Logan on Twitter. Fire me off a, Fire me off something. Okay. And listeners, you've heard me say this. 180 times by now, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and I am on uh, I on the RPG Fan Discord. I am Monsoon Mike, and on the RPG Fan forums, which are about as alive as the cast of Breath of Death Seven, uh, <laughs> I, I, I am Monsoon. 
thank you again, uh, Bill and Robert. It was it was I, it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm uh, this, this Cthulhu Saves Christmas is excellent, and I hope that uh, I hope that it does as well as you're hoping for it to do. We don't need to talk about numbers or money on the on the podcast, but I, I wish I wish that you know I, I, I wish that a lot of people picked it up in the Christmas New Year's window because because it's that's the spirit of the game and uh, it, it was really good. You you guys did well. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. yeah, it's been doing decently so far, and I think it'll do well over time because, you know, Christmas comes every year, and there aren't a lot of games we're competing with. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Good night, and good luck. <laughs>